Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy with the Edmonton Journal's Cult of Hockey. And tonight I'm joined by my colleague, Kurt Levins from Pender Island in BC. Welcome, Kurt. Good evening, Bruce. How are things in fair St. Albert, Alberta? Oh, we're pretty fair today. Warmed up to about eight degrees out here. Nice day for a walk, as long as you didn't need to step on the sidewalks while you were doing it. But other than that, it was great. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely here. The The daffodils are blooming. I think we were 11 oh, wow. or 12 degrees today. So, But it's, I think we're all happy that spring is here and better weather's coming. So. Yeah, we're not quite at the daffodil stage yet, i got to say. But uh, <laughs> it, it'll come another two weeks, a couple months maybe. Speaking <laughs> of spring, that, uh, that had the feel of a playoff game tonight, didn't it? Yes, sir. It sure did. Yeah, we got a, a whale of a hockey game to talk about today. And I thought, though, first I would give you the opportunity to express your opinion, as David and I did earlier today, on the two trades that the Oilers made today and uh, uh, maybe uh, further thought to overview on maybe what they didn't accomplish or, uh, or uh, opportunities missed. But uh, let's yeah, start yeah. with the two guys that they got. Yeah, you bet. And that'll be fun because I actually haven't heard that podcast yet. So I don't know what you've right. said. So I'm I'm not being influenced by your convincing <laughs> arguments. <laughs> um, overall, if I'm if I'm giving uh, Ken Holland a, a grade on this deadline day, I give him a B plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that their biggest need, which is arguably in goal, notwithstanding the last six games. Um, I didn't think that there was anything out there that was um, as good or better than what we have right. um, that was willing to come here. And so mm-hmm. while I don't disagree that goaltending is still a big need on this roster, I don't think it was out there to be had. And so I, I kind of I set that to one side. Um, I identified the next biggest need as a defenseman. Yep. Um, and they went out and they they got a guy who has who has played top four and indeed has played top, top, top two pairing minutes for, for Montreal this year at times, um, um, who grew up in my old neck of the woods when I, when I lived on the acreage in Stony Plain, his oh, yeah. dad farm just down the road, even though we, we didn't know yeah. one another. Uh, so the, the QLAC acquisition, I think, is a really strong one. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm being honest, I would have hoped for probably someone with the same size, but with a little more bite, who perhaps was a little more effective against the cycle. Uh, uh, I think we all kind of have that Adam Larson player type in mind. Um, mm-hmm. But when I looked around, there was a limited amount of that available as well. And so I thought the fact that they went and got a real NHL player uh, who can play top four minutes, but who will probably be in our bottom pairing, uh, I thought was a very good Deadline mm-hmm. ad. Uh, there's an old saying that I heard somewhere else that I've borrowed and co-opted as my own, that you can never have too many defensemen and centermen in the playoffs. Yeah. And so I like the acquisition. Uh, would have I perhaps liked a different player type? Maybe, but I like the player we got. And I, you know, I think if he, I think if he has a good stretch here, there's a chance we might sign him too. I get the real feel he wouldn't mind uh, staying and playing here in, in his, in his adopted hometown. Um, and I read then, uh, a, I read a sorry, thing about him him uh, uh, FaceTiming with his dad who was out on the tractor. Yeah. And the dad <laughs> had tears in his eyes because uh, uh, Brett was coming home to uh, uh, Central Alberta to uh, to 
you know, playing the best league in the in the world in the closest team. So uh, yeah, yeah, and the team you used to cheer for as a kid. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's how can you not cheer for for a story like that to come true, right? So, uh, so I, I thought good acquisition there. Um, I was hoping Ken Holland would find the cap space to add a a, a depth forward. I wasn't sure that he'd be able to, and I thought maybe Josh Archibald maybe headed out of town in order to make that happen. As it turns out, while Holland did try to deal him, there were no takers. Uh, and the only people that were interested in Archibald wanted a sweetener along with it, and Holland just wasn't willing to do that, which I understand. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll take um, what he does bring our club for the home games. And with Broussard, you get a guy who has a lot of NHL experience, a lot of NHL Stanley Cup playoff experience, um, is certainly a bottom six uh, uh, forward uh, at this point in his career. Right. Um, still has skill. I mean, he was at about a, about a half a point a game rate in Philadelphia. Has good hands, still has pretty good wheels for his age, uh, and is a good face-off man. He's, you know, just above 50, 50%. So he might not be the first or even the second guy that you put out there to win a draw, but you could do a lot worse. Um and so it'll be interesting to see if he, you know, slots in regularly in the fourth line or if he he just turns into your 13th forward. Not sure. Um, but I'll take that kind of veteran depth on a team that is probably headed to the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, uh, a B-plus overall. Um, some criticism of the price that Ken Holland had to pay. My answer to that is twofold. One, fair. But on the other hand, uh, for all the people out there who quite rightly moan that we're pissing away years of Connor McDavid's contract. Well, do you want the GM to go and make your team better or not? Um, so he did. Uh, they're better and they're maybe more to the point deeper today. Um, and while you don't want to give away draft picks, I would suggest that, you know, the Oilers are, are pretty full of prospects right now that are a lot closer than that second round draft pick is to the NHL. And so, that was a price I was personally willing to to pay for for what we got in return. That seventh round draft pick kind of snuck past everybody, including me. Where did that come from? I'm not I'm not sure how. I think you <laughs> said it to me. I'm not sure how we always end up adding in the throw in as opposed oh. to the other guys. So I think that's fair criticism. But overall, yeah, B plus. Was I anything? Was I anywhere close to what you and? Yeah, you well, yeah, and we're. I mean, we're all on the same page. We could see it coming a mile away that the uh, that the focus was going to be on acquiring a depth uh, D-man. Uh, I wrote a post last week, uh, just my standard 10-game review post from games 51 to 60, and I looked very closely at the trends of players on the team because that's the information Holland had going into the deadline. And the top five defensemen were all fine. They were scoring points. They were solidly outscoring the other team. And then defensemen six, seven, and eight, who happened to be the young guys, uh, Lagesson, Broberg, and Nima Linen, we're all underwater. And I looked at that and went, boy, uh, Ken Holland uh, will be looking at that and uh, our information like that and thinking that he's going to want to shore up that left side. I mean, Chris Russell did just come back a couple games ago and he's looked pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, man, that tip into the crowd tonight was a fantastic play by Russell. Uh, yep. Uh, the, but uh, I don't think we can rely on his health anymore. And he's a six seven, but part of that is a seven when he's not able to go or, you know, able to 
undergo the strain of playing every other night. You want to have a little bit of uh, surplus at the position. And at this point, Oilers can go with basically all veterans other than Evan Bouchard. Uh, so that was uh, a matter of which one was he going to get to see or Braun or, or you know, one of those uh, solid players. There was no room for cap hit. And in fact, one of the reasons the price was so high was that the Oilers had to buy uh, half of the uh, uh, salary being retained and in both trades. I mean, even uh, yep. Broussard coming back here, he only makes $850,000 a year. Well, as an oiler, he only makes effectively 425000 a year because the other half is retained. So he's actually almost a half price NHL, NHL effectively on the Oilers' payroll. And so you have to pay a premium for that, and, and they did. But uh, I'm getting pretty tired of bleeding draft choices. So every <laughs> year in the draft, we're down one or two picks before we start. And, and that's uh, that's not healthy in the long run. Anyways. Uh, one of the uh, things I like about the QLAC trade, which I didn't mention, is mm-hmm. that if Chris Russell is your seven and one of your mm-hmm. regular defensemen goes down in the playoffs, you're mm-hmm. not forced to put a a... a defenseman with 20 games of NHL experience right. into the lineup. You've got an right. option to put in a guy who's played 900. <laughs> and I like yeah. ha- at least having the option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was thing. And my other, my other takeaway from the day was the orders that may, may have uh, made incremental improvements. But if you look at the void, the gap between the Oilers and the very top teams, the Floridas and the Tampas and the New York Rangers and Colorados that all seem to be adding two or three pretty quality players to their uh, stable somehow. Uh, I think that gap only got a little bit wider, but uh, uh, Oilers I, did I, not have a lot of space to deal with. Neither did they. I don't know how the heck some of them did that stuff, yeah. honestly. <laughs> well, I, I, you know what? I agree with that assessment. I said to a friend today, you know, the difference is uh, I think the Edmonton Oilers are playoff contenders and mm-hmm. the Florida Panthers are Stanley Cup right. contenders. And I think there's that notable difference between the two. All right. Well, let's move on to the first post-deadline game, the first of the final 20 uh, that are to be played after the deadline and on the night of the deadline itself. So we didn't see any of the new players, nor will we tomorrow, apparently. Uh, Jay Woodcroft said those both guys are going straight to Edmonton will join the team at home. So we'll see the same team in Dallas tomorrow night. Uh, but tonight's game, uh, boy, what a what a frenetic, uh, fabulous game that was to watch. And uh, anyway, I will uh, uh, hand off to you, Kurt, and, and let you identify uh, your overview and your first or your good thing about this hockey game. Well, you know, you, you led me in perfectly because my good thing was the game itself. Um, okay. Like you, I, I watch every Oilers game, but uh, but for every Oilers game I watch, I probably watch at least one other NHL game, maybe two or three a week. So I, mm-hmm. I watch a lot of hockey games, as I know a lot of Oilers fans do. I believe that was the best game I've seen all year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to my wife uh, after the overtime goal, I said, well, you know what, I'm I'm an Oilers fan. Of course, I'm sorry they lost. But I'm kind of sorry either team had to lose in that game because, boy, what a what a terrific brand of hockey. You know, I, I come from the school as much as I don't mind a hard hit and the odd scrap. Uh, mm-hmm. I come from the school that, above all else, I love high skill. Yeah. And my goodness, did we have that in abundance tonight from both sides. I thought the best players on both teams were excellent. 
mm-hmm. um, speed, uh, agility, grit, intensity. Uh, it had almost all the feel of a Stanley Cup playoff game. Um, and I, ad- I admire the Calgary Avalanche a lot. Even though I'm an Oilers fan, there's, there's a team I admire. And, you know, if you played the old game, if the Oilers weren't in the league, who would you cheer for? Who would be your team? Boy, I have to think the Avalanche might be mine. Wouldn't, because, wouldn't be uh, the Calgary Avalanche. There's a Freudian story. <laughs> but yes, the Colorado Avalanche have got a heck of a team. Yeah. And I, I, I can see how people would root for them. They kind of pissed me off tonight a few times. I have to say the Avs did. <laughs> they got away with it. They got away with a few things along the way. And uh, they, they, they did get the calls. But uh, yeah, they, uh, they do have, I mean, when you can put out a power play, Kurt, that has uh, the fabulous Kale McCarr mm, what a running player. from the point. But then you've got uh, Mikko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon, Nazem Kadri. I mean, they're missing at the moment Gabriel Landeskog, so they had to yeah. put uh, big uh, Valerie Nichushkin in front of the net. But Which I mean, is really slumming it, right? Yeah. Fabulous. <laughs> I mean, the puck was on a string flying around out there, and any of the many, many times that the Avs seemed to wind up on the power play tonight, the Oilers were in serious trouble, and in fact, the Avs converted 2 of 5. Yeah, even though I'll, I'll add pretty quickly that on both of those power play goals were fortunate bounces, yeah. um, which is not to take away from the the skill that was on display in their power play. I completely mm-hmm. agree with that. But it's kind of funny how the, the two, out of all those beautiful plays that we watched tonight, the two that went in, went in. And, yeah. and they aren't even plays that I would blame necessarily on the defenders or the goaltender. Right. I mean, they were yeah. they were. Lucky bounces, yeah, but that seems like I'm being a bad sport. You got to be good to be lucky, and Colorado's good. Well, it's a game of bounces sometimes, and uh, mm-hmm. Colorado got a couple tonight, and uh, I'm not sure the Oilers got uh, uh, as many. Uh, yeah. I mean, and then the overtime goal was a, a, quite the sequence of events that we'll talk about in a bit. So, uh, my good thing, I, I had a few good things about this game, but I think I'll, I'll zero in on the one-one goal. You want to talk about mm-hmm. high skill on display uh, when, uh, uh, first of all, Evander Kane went in on the rush and absorbed a nice two-handed cross check, check in the mush for his problems. And the ref called it, and he was going to call it four minutes, which it was, but in the end it was a single minor because the order scored on the six on five. Well, how they did that was, first of all, Drysaddle hopped over the boards to replace Smith as the sixth man, joining the McDavid Kane Yamamoto line, which had been uh, uh, bringing the heat before that. <clears throat> Drysdale was it was a long enough six on five that they were actually able to develop the play, and Drysdale handled the puck uh, two times in the sequence after joining it uh, from the bench. Uh, first of all, I got the puck along the blue line, and uh, and uh, he got it to. Uh, Cross the ice to McDavid, and then the two of them did a crisscross right at the right in the very top of the zone. McDavid came from right to left, and Leon came along behind him. And of course, the Colorado players gravitated McDavid with the puck, and then he made a deft little drop pass. And all of a sudden, there's Leon in the middle of the ice coming in towards the goal with options. And Leon, with his fabulous vision, was able to spot uh, Kyler Yamamoto off to the lower left uh, side. Uh, of the slot open, and he put the puck right on Kyler's tape, and Kyler put the puck right in the net, and it was just a thing of beauty. I thought that was a, that was a gorgeous goal, and got the Oilers back in the game at one to one, and uh, uh, they <clears throat> they stayed within 
Well, they stayed within a goal all night long, never could get in front, but uh, uh, they fought back. And that was uh, uh, the first uh, first comeback goal. And uh, just such a beautiful play that uh, that's my good thing. Yeah, and you know, um, I still believe Leon Dreisaitl is among the three best passers in the league. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. it is uncanny how he can spot his man in a crowd and then from distance, because that wasn't a short pass. Right. You know, it was right right across the slot, but mm -hmm. he was he was well on the other side of it, right on the tape. Uh, That's a thing of beauty. And Kyler Yamamoto, who earlier in the year, I remember wondering, and I even think I wrote about it once or twice, I said, boy, you know, I just I just wonder if the grind of this league is wearing a guy his size down because he's, you mm -hmm. know, he just couldn't get any traction. Well, now he's as hot as a pistol. <laughs> and and tonight fought numerous puck battles against players where he was given up, you know, four or five inches of height and and reach and still gamely going after those pucks. Um, I thought he was among the Oilers' best three players on the night. So, yeah, that play you know, put, put box scores to what I thought were two terrific performances from both Yamamoto and Drysaddle tonight. All right, Kurt, uh, what's your, uh, what's your bad thing from uh, this uh, contest? tonight? Well, you know what, it's easy and it's not. Um, it's not um, because there really weren't too many bad things tonight uh, in such a well-played entertaining hockey game, but I have to pick the overtime goal. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a sequence of events that I, I, I dare you to say will repeated will be repeated in any NHL game this calendar year. I mean, first of all, um, McDavid loses the faceoff, so you lose possession. That's not great in in three on three. Um, but then in a scramble in front, um, either Darnell Nurse loses his helmet, or um, Version two, his helmet is wrenched off his head by Nazem Kadri. That's version um, one, Kurt. <laughs> it depends which <laughs> you believe is one and which is two. Either way, um, a year ago, um, Nurse doesn't have to leave the ice. But now with the new rule, you've got to. You've got to make a beeline for the bench. And so he had no choice. And in that yeah. short period of time, he surrendered an odd man rush you know, to the avalanche. Duncan Keith hopped over the boards, but by the time the puck was headed in the other direction, Keith had no chance of, 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 of getting back into the play. So there was, there was that. And, and then Evander Kane, as good as he was, and I thought he thought he was the Oilers' best player tonight. But when the puck came up the wall, somehow it got lost in his feet. And he didn't just lose sight of it. I lost sight of it. I, I think everybody in the ice lost sight of it for a while. I wondered if that it maybe landed part. on the... On the, you know, on, on the tongue of his on the tongue of his skate, mm -hmm. um, and by the time he twisted around and found it and got a stick on it, it was too late, and it was and it was poked ahead, and bam, it was a two on one. Um, and as good as Connor McDavid is at everything, mm -hmm. um, he 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 couldn't do much to prevent that two on one and the Nathan McKinnon snipe, um, <sighs> which is going to go in on any goaltender, um, and. It was a three-two loss. Like all, the, if you line any one of those things on their own, mm -hmm. is relatively rare. All three of them in sequence mm -hmm. on the same play. Come on, it's just like uh, <laughs> the hockey gods were not shining down on you tonight. And you know what? I really don't want to take away from the quality of play of, of uh, the Avalanche, 
they were excellent. And as I said, you have to be good to make your own luck. They were good tonight. They made their own luck. And when it came to them, to their credit, they capitalized on it. Well, they sure capitalized. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen uh, uh, what I would have considered a fairer, um, decisive play in the game. Like uh, Kadri, mm-hmm. I thought, really got away with one there. Like he he came in, Nurse stood up to him, and Kadri just put his arm around Nurse's head and wrenched his helmet off. Oh. <clears throat> and uh, uh, Nurse, it sort of took him a second to realize, oh, hell, i got to get off the ice now. And he was a little bit slow. And because he left the ice at, at a kind of a weird time, Keith, I think, wasn't quite ready to jump on. And when he did jump on, he didn't know where the puck was. And he zigged where he should have zagged instead of busting butt back for the defensive zone. I think he thought Kane had the puck and was going to headman it. So he wound up never getting in the play. Then you have the long change factor in overtime where, of course, it's mm-hmm. an even-numbered period. So Nurse didn't just have to go to the bench. He had to go all the way to the to the far bench, and Keith had to come all the way back, and he never made it back. And Then you add in the factor that uh, when Colorado did get the puck, it wasn't just two dudes that got the puck. It was <laughs> McCarr and McKinnon, and they both yeah. made perfect plays, and the puck was in the net, and that was that. But it was a kind of a sour way to lose it, and... Uh, Mm-hmm. I was sour because I thought Edmonton kind of got the short end of a few calls in this game. And that was another one where, I mean, the letter of the law, this rule actually came in in 2019. And it says subject, uh, player on the ice whose helmet comes off during play must exit the playing surface or retrieve and replace his helmet properly on his head. Player making play on the puck or is a position to make an immediate play on the puck shall be given a reasonable opportunity to complete the play. Failure to comply will result in a minor penalty being assessed on the offending player. But here's the flip side. A player who intentionally removes an opponent's helmet during play shall be assessed a minor penalty for roughing. That didn't happen. Yeah. And in fact, there was not much that uh, Colorado could do tonight that drew the attention of Mr.'s referee. Yeah, they were pretty angelic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, You know, they're number one team in the league for drawing penalties five years in a row, Colorado. And I mean, they're good at it. And they're, you know, they're, they're fast, they're skilled, they have the puck a lot. All those things draw penalties. And they got a couple of sneaky guys like Kadri that draws penalties as a, you know, Mm -hmm. by Abbott. I mean, he's, he's kind of the Brad Marchand of the Western Conference. So, well, Uh, as much as that overtime play, good comparison, by the way. Um, uh-huh. As much as that overtime play bugged me, it was the it was the subsequent call. Uh, it was the non-call on uh, Drysaddle, and then the subsequent yeah. call on oh, Yamamoto is the brutal. one that really pissed me off. Mm-hmm. And Jay brutal. Woodcroft too. <laughs> yeah, no, that was brutal. I mean, a guy gave uh, Drysaddle a two-handed hook, spun him around and down, and it would have been a five-on-three for the Oilers. That yeah. didn't happen. And then, like, not 10 seconds later, Yamamoto, one hand on his stick, tries to check the puck. The guy goes down, and, of course, now that's a penalty. And, I mean, normally refs, I mean, this is what they've done forever. They miss a call one way, and they kind of let one go the other way. But that didn't happen. So. Well, I thought overall, um, as good as the hockey game was, I thought the officiating was exceedingly poor. Uh, yeah, but with, poor. with Yeah, but with perhaps the exception of the Kadri non-call in overtime, I didn't think it ultimately decided the game as much as I thought they were getting in the way of a good hockey game. Well, Colorado scored the 2-1 goal on, after the missed call on the, the sequence of two, one non-call, one call that you mentioned. That, that was that was a pretty big turning point. But anyway, mm-hmm. let's not uh, 
Uh, let's not dwell on that any further. <laughs> uh, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I have a bad thing, and I, I was going to go off on the refs, but I kind of already did and enough of that. Uh, uh, there, you know, there was there was lots to uh, lots to enjoy in this game. Uh, really, I for a bad thing. Uh, I think just the, the 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 splits that the Oilers had with uh, you know five forwards that really played a lot in this game, and then seven forwards who didn't play a lot, and sort of the odd man out in the top, in the top two lines was Yesapoli Arvey. Mm-hmm. Right, we had McDavid twenty one minutes, Kane twenty two minutes, Yamamoto twenty, Drysaddle twenty three, Hyman twenty one. And Fully Arvey, who lined up with that group originally, just 11 minutes on this night. Yeah, he got and supplanted by um, by, by Fogel. By Fogel to some degree, and but Fogel only played uh, just under 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it was kind, kind of funky that way. But uh, Fully Arvey, and, and I love the guy, he's, he's uh, one of my favorite players, but I, I didn't think he had one of his better games tonight. Took a Took a bad penalty, which wound up to be a costly penalty at the, uh, at the uh, blue line. Uh, which was it was just kind of unnecessary for you know mm-hmm. there was not a dangerous play happening and uh, and he got called on a play where the orders couldn't clear the puck. I and, thought he was generally out of sync tonight. Yeah, I thought just, there was yeah. effort there, but just not mm-hmm. quite clicking. Yep. You know, yeah, yeah, he's still coming back into form after missing a bunch of time. Mm-hmm. So, but there there was a little bit that. Uh, uh, yes, at his best, I think the Oilers win this game. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And uh, uh, they came darn close. I mean, they they won the five on five portion of the game, one nothing. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the six on five was essentially an even strength goal as well. But uh, we'll see the other parts of the game that they couldn't quite get her done. So I, I don't have a whole lot bad to say. Like I don't even think he was that bad. It was just a kind of Yep. Funky how it worked out within the top six. You had five guys that were like 10 minutes ahead of the sixth guy. Yeah, and generally, and related but not to your point, generally speaking, I mean, you could have seen all of those guys getting a little more ice time because on balance, I thought all the bottom six guys played quite cool. well tonight. I thought they all I'm showed sorry. up, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're going to get into our numbers, and this won't be my numbers, so I will say it now. Uh these are shots for and against uh, in, you know, relatively few minutes. Devin Shore, 3-0. Derek Ryan, 2-0. Brad Malone, 4-0. Ryan McLeod, 3-1. Warren Fogle, 4-1. Zach Cassian, 3-0. Yeah. So, literally, Colorado had one shot on net with Edmonton's bottom six on the ice yeah. tonight. So, maybe they could give them a bit more time. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they were not getting, they weren't getting owned. I mean, I'm sure the matchups and so on were... Or closely guarded and so on, but when the bottom six was out there, they did well. Yeah, Brad Malone had five hits. I thought Malone was really good. He absolutely crushed Nazem Kadri. Yeah, with a great open ice hit. I kept hitting the seven second rewind. I watched it three or four <laughs> times. And yeah, it was, it was just, a real shame. <laughs> it was well, it was like clean open ice hit him right in the yeah. breastbone. Boom, yeah. shoulder. Oh. Well, he plays uh, an honest game, doesn't oh, he? Oh, he, yeah, he he landed at least three of the five hits that he was credited for were very heavy shots. So uh, you get a little bit of that out of your bottom six, uh, and that's very welcome. I don't think we'll see much more of Brad Malone now that we have reinforcements in camp. But uh, agree, he uh, left a positive impression tonight. 
Anyway, let's move on. Numbers. What have you got for a number out of that game that uh, grabbed your eye? Uh, speaking of hits, six, which is the number of hits that Evander Kane landed on the night. And as much as I agree that probably two or three of those hits that, uh, that Brad Malone landed were thunderous ones, I thought three or four of those six of Evander Kane's echoed through the arena in Denver for a while, too. Um, boy, he's a hard, heavy player when he's got a head of steam up. Um, uh, I said to Bruce before we pressed record on the podcast and I said, you know, Evander Kane is exactly the kind of player you want in a playoff game. Uh, he has lots of skill, but he's built low to the ground. He's heavy. He's got a mean streak in him. Uh, and when, when the, that game got, got rough and rowdy tonight, I thought he got better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what? Players like that do get better because they're in their element. Um, I gave Evander Kane a nine tonight. I thought he was the Oilers' best player among a bunch of good candidates. Um, mm-hmm. But but boy, um, I was I was one of the people I don't mind admitting I was one of the people that was hesitant on, on the signing of Evander Kane, almost exclusively because of the issues that have surrounded him off the ice. Mm-hmm. But boy, on the ice, what a win this has been! And if you counted Evander Kane as a part of the deadline acquisition package, I think Ken Holland would be in the A's. Um, it's a little disingenuous to, to count it that way. Um, but they certainly got him in the back you know, quarter of the season and for nothing. Uh, and so for a guy you paid nothing for, boy, he's bringing a lot every night. And I thought he was just excellent this evening. Yeah, he plays with a lot of edge, right? Mm-hmm. And he was really he playing with it tonight. I, I, I'm not totally enthralled with his defensive game. Like I, I think he gets beat there sometimes, but uh, uh, I do like uh, you know a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the the uh, heaviness, as Shirley would call it. And uh, the uh, uh, but when he does get a chance, like <clears throat> the two-two goal, of course, that he scored, uh, one chance in front of the net, and a quick reset of the puck and bam, right inside the post. No mistake, no chance for the goalie. Just uh, just buried it off of uh, Kyle Yamamoto set up. So. There's an old saying, he arrives in a foul mood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think frequently, especially when he's on his game like he was tonight, that's Evander Kane. He arrives in a foul mood, and that's a good thing. So Fred Fred Shiro used to say, take the shortest route to the puck and arrive in ill humor. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's probably a version of Shiro's because I do remember that. Yeah, absolutely. My my cousin uh, played for Fred Shiro back in the seventies, mm-hmm. and so that's uh, I had a I had a minor dose of of Fred and his rough and tumble flyers. So. Okay, my number, I'm just going to look at Kyler Yamamoto's stat line tonight. Kyler was extremely involved in this game for good mm-hmm. and bad. Uh, mostly, mostly for good, uh, as box cars of one goal, one assist, uh, primary assist, two points plus two, in a game that the Oilers lost three to two. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, we move on to three penalties for six minutes, which was a natural hat trick of stick fouls in the middle frame. One for tripping, one for hooking, which also drew an embellishment call on Kale McCarr, and in my view, should have only drawn an embellishment call on Kale McCarr. Yep. And then another legit tripping penalty on an aggressive backtrack. He does like to get a stick in there, and he wins pucks by getting his stick in there, but he does take that risk. And the refs seem to have it in for him, and he was uh, <laughs> by the second one, let alone the third one. He was beside himself. 
And of course, they scored on the first of those. Uh, the second was an even him up, and the third one was uh, killed off by his team. But the rest of his line, I mean, these numbers are modest, but they're all positive. Two shots, both on goal. Uh, one hit, uh, one takeaway, no giveaways, two block shots, and just evidence that he was competing for the for the puck and in the game in all areas when you when you look at that at that as a set and i i thought this was one of his finest games as an oiler despite the uh natural hattie of uh of uh and uh, so uh kyle yamamoto for your unusual uh line of uh, uh stats especially on the left side of the event summary uh uh, you got my number tonight. I scored him an eight tonight. Uh, yeah. I saw all the good That's things fair. you saw, and I and I really only and I only docked him for one of the penalties because I thought yeah. both of the other two were bogus. So mm-hmm. fair enough. Fair enough. So all right. Uh, I guess that takes us through the lot. I mean, here's the good news tonight, uh, Kurt. Uh, when you say neither team deserved to lose that game, well, thanks for the wonderful Bettman point rule. Nobody really did lose that game. We had a winner and a tire. And Edmonton got credit with the tie, which they deserved over the course of the 60 minutes. I hate the point structure. I don't think it's right the way they have it designed. But losing and getting a point leaves a hell of a lot less sour of a taste in your mouth than losing and coming away with nothing. And that was a huge point for Edmonton tonight. Okay, come out of Colorado with anything. Uh, as an accomplishment, even if you don't prevent the home team from ultimately winning the game. And for their trouble tonight, the Oilers gained a point on Vegas, who were shut out 3 nothing by uh, uh, Minnesota Wild, presumably not by Marc-Andre Fleury, their new goaltender. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Vegans are in a world of hurt right now. And they did nothing at the trading deadline. Yeah, they're down to, well, they, they shot their bolt on the Eichel trade. Mm-hmm. So they're down to 72 points in 65 games. And with their one point tonight, Edmonton crawled one further point clear of Vegas. They're now up to 75 points in 63 games. So three points ahead with two games in hand. And all of a sudden, things are looking a whole lot better for Edmonton, who are playing a Pretty fine brand of hockey, uh, mm-hmm. certainly in the five-on-five game these days, compared to Vegas, who are are walking wounded. They're not so much the Golden Knights these days as the Black Knights. <laughs> yeah, tis, for sure. Tis, tis only a scratch, but they sure <laughs> got a few guys getting scratched from the lineup uh, on a nightly basis. And guys they miss, and underrated guys, you know, like Braden McNabb and Alec Martinez on the Martinez, back end. And, yeah, yeah. You know, they're 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 down several. Several courts missing their captain, Mark Stone. And, and Pacioretty's you know, hurt, right? Yeah, He's yeah, yeah. Playing, no, they're all hurt. Doesn't, yeah, so. Yeah. And and it, wasn't it our old friend Cam Talbot got that shutout tonight, I think? I would have to think so. Because yep. they, traded, they traded the other guy, uh, Kakinen, to uh, 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 to the West Coast. Yeah, and their, I think Flurry got there in backup. time to be the backup, right? Oh, okay. But, yeah. yeah, so. That makes sense. So anyway, Edmonton's one point closer to Los Angeles tonight with still one game in hand, just one point behind. And more importantly, they're getting clear of Vegas. And really the the huge objective here has to be finishing the top three in the Pacific. I don't think you want to be playing either Colorado or Calgary right out of the bat as the two wildcard teams are destined to do. I would way rather match up against LA and whether they have home ice or we have home ice, well, 
that's yeah. uh, you know you want to have it but it's not uh, make or break but uh yeah. the top the three in the pacific is yeah. huge and tonight the orders just made that one more little step playing it you know as tough a team and as tough a game as you're going to get in this league at colorado to come away with anything hey that's a yeah. positive result so let's yeah. uh, end on the positive note and Instead of decrying the second point we didn't get, we which we uh, can at least uh, take our half a loaf and not starve to death. You know, one one quick uh, mention just mm-hmm. before we close. Um, yeah. You know, that's two pretty good games in a row from Mike Smith now. Yes, um, he was good. And yeah, and so and and very good handling the puck. I thought. Yes. Um, all both of a games. sudden, yeah. All of a sudden, both Oilers goalies are in a bit of a groove. And uh, ain't that a change <laughs> from yeah. where we were earlier in the season? At any point during the season, I don't think we've had it uh, this year at all where both guys are playing well. Last year, uh, Smith clearly emerged as the number one, but there was a, st- a stretch there of uh, six weeks or two months where Smith was yeah. playing the lion's share of the games, but Koskinen would come in and play his once a week and be good. Yep. And that's when the Oilers really put some distance in the standings last year was that whole middle sort of half of this between the one quarter and three quarter marks of the season when they had uh, both their netminders going on. Right now it looks that way. I mean, Smith, uh, one time tonight he got up and he kind of shook his left leg and I still wonder if he's quite a hundred percent, but he looks like more nimble, more active, more lively, uh, just more himself. And the, 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 clue that i watch for is how aggressive he is at fielding pucks on shootings yes Yes, and he just gets sprung out of his crease like he's uh, you know been shot from a trebuchet and he will pick off a shot you know a shoot in that's destined for the trapezoid and he'll go and pick that thing off and and make a play with it instead of a defenseman getting mashed into the corner glass you know you have a defenseman with puck moving north and and that happens five or eight times a game you know it makes a difference And his good play multiplies because if Miko can get some rest, we've all seen over the last four years that a rested Koskinen is a much better mm-hmm. Koskinen. So, I mean, knock on wood, we all we yeah. all know the goaltender debate, and I think both you and I are, are both on the concern side of that debate. Mm-hmm. But uh, but right now, both guys are are they're they're giving their teams a chance to win night in and night out. Credit where due when they play well. Like you can you can criticize the situation, but if you just sort of say, well, they both stink, and no matter what they do, they both stink. Uh, you know, I mean, right now, uh, Koskinen, you know, he's lost one game in regulation out of his last 14, I think, decisions. Mm-hmm. And in 14 starts, he's given in more than three goals one time. And those two things are not a coincidence. And now Smith has come in and come, uh, you know, back to back real solid. And uh, after, you know, after being close to people wanting to, well, many people just wanted him gone. It looked Close like to the end. If right? he had yeah. one more like really bad game, he might have been gone. I think he would have, actually. Yeah. And so, anyway, he uh, hasn't had people, that bad game yet. Yeah. People bug me when I talk about uh, what kind of a competitor Mike Smith is. But <laughs> I think that's when he's healthy, I think that's what makes him good, Bruce. Which is oh, why yeah. I keep bringing he, it he up. He burns. Right? He burns. He's a, he's a very fiery presence to say the least and, and always interesting to watch whether whether you like the guy or not i mean mm-hmm. I, I found him interesting to watch when he was in arizona and i could tell it kurt i hated mike smith <laughs> when he was in arizona me too <laughs> <laughs> he'd come into edmonton and somehow he'd emerge with the two points he'd be doing yeah. this thing at the end he'd be going, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. shove that blocker where it, uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Exactly. Anyway, tomorrow we will get to see Mikko Koskinen almost for sure. I can't imagine any other way. And having the two, you know, being able to go back and forth means a game like or a week like this where you have four games in six days. You're not going to overtax either of your aging net mind. You just give them two games each. And Mikko has, is going back to Dallas where the last time the Oilers were there, last two times the Oilers were there two years ago, Mikko absolutely stoned them with 40 some saves and the Oilers won both games two to one and he was fantastic both times. So let's hope for more of that. Return to the scene of the crime. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Dallas fans will remember Mikko when uh, when the Oilers show up tomorrow. That is a huge game and you know, potentially in the wild card race. You you uh, win that game and put some distance uh, between Dallas and then we're we're starting to to uh Yeah. Because they're right there. I mean, they're one point behind the Oilers, and they have two games in hand. So you, well, you don't even want to be in that wild card race. So the first order business is get some points. Yeah, and if you get three out of four points out of those two games, you're mm-hmm. doing something. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll be for tomorrow. Uh, a little bit shorter turnaround. The Oilers got to travel, sleep late, got, you know, move their watches ahead and play an hour earlier tomorrow night than they did tonight. So it's a big challenge, but... Uh, White team's playing right now. I would not write them off. Nor would I. And for Dallas, too, it's the third and four nights because they played Friday or Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, and the Oilers playing Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. So that's, that should be fairly much a wash. Yeah, and they're an older team, so they, they may be down half a court less than the Oilers are. So. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's leave it there, and I will say again thank you, Kurt, for uh, pinch hitting for David tonight. It's my pleasure to do my best rusty stub for you. All right. And thanks to you, the audience, for listening. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.